Hello, and welcome to episode 56 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And this week we're going to cover true crime and paranormal from Connecticut. I've got true crime. And I have the paranormal and the beverage. The booze and the booze. And the husband. And the substitute drinker. (laughs) Thanks for having me again, ladies. That was fun. Yes, Alex is back. I'm back. (laughs) Let's drink. (laughs) Okay, so... This week, ladies and gentlemen, I found this drink very popular in the state of Connecticut in my research, but then I even got a recommendation from a patron of ours, Ashley, saying that if we do Connecticut, we have to do a dark and stormy. All right. So you are drinking a dark and stormy. Shout out to you, Ashley. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank I wish you. I could I wish I could try it. It smells very strong, but I think it's because it's dark rum. Oh, yeah. It does smell totally rummy. I, I smell whiskey. I don't know about you. It's rum. Totally smell rum. It's oh rum. Gosh. Okay. You say it's not strong, but. Well, I didn't try it. So <laughs> so it could very well be, but I added a little extra lime in there, which always seems to help when we it add does. citrus to mm-hmm. drinks. It always seems to help the strongness of it. So. Okay. Do you know why it's called dark and stormy? Well, first of all, look at it. Yeah. It's very cloudy and. There's some weird clouds. Well, it's it's murky looking. Okay. Oh, okay, so dark and murky. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it got its name from an old sailor who compared the drink's murky hue to the color of storm clouds. Now, this oh. is an unproven legend, but the drink's connection to the joys and dangers of seafaring is well established. Okay. That came from CNN.com. All right. Okay. Well, here we go. Cheers. Oh, Break the glass. Jeez. <laughs> all right. All right. Here we go. Um. Okay. I, I. It seems like I get a lot of, I don't want to say sour. Well, first of all, this is your second lime drink. I know. <laughs> that's all I get is lime. At least this one doesn't have sea salt in it this time. <laughs> all right. Let's try it again. But it has to do with the sea. That's so funny. You're right. That is, I, I like rum. It is very strong though. Really? Yeah, what's yeah. in it? Well, rum for sure. <laughs> and lime. It is two ounces of dark rum, three ounces of ginger beer, and a half ounce of lime juice. Ginger beer. That's okay. I can taste that actually. So it's basically a Moscow mule, but with rum. rum. Okay. You know, honestly, now that I know what's in it, <laughs> it, it, tastes it actually better. tastes a lot better. <laughs> uh, the mystery of it, that's what kind of threw me off. But I like the ginger in there. Now, mom does not like ginger beer. Not a fan. So I didn't want to tell her that that was in it. It, I I can't taste it that much. Okay. But I like the kind of the fizz to it almost now. You get a fizz? Yeah, because that (laughs) the beer. I don't know. Moscow Mule. Why don't you put the tongue to the top of your mouth and tell me if you have a fizz? (laughs) I swear to you, that was like it was. There was a. We didn't tell you. We looked on the can, and the can said like lime, black lime, and sea salt. Mm. Yeah. Um. Pass on that one. This one. (laughs) I would say I'll give it like a six out of ten. I, I mean, I agree. If there was other things to drink at the party, I would definitely drink those other things. <laughs> but since but if we ran out, since there's nothing else to drink at this party, it's <laughs> although I don't know where I saw this in the news. But speaking of people drinking at a party, I guess they ran out of alcohol and they drank like sanitizer. What? what? And some people died too. So, but anyway, I I saw that. So I would drink this before hand sanitizer. I would say. That's a party to I, die yeah, for. I saw this. Wow. Yeah, I, I, obviously, I think it was like younger people that decided. <laughs> were very intoxicated, probably. Yeah, and they're like alcohols in there. But Oh, my god. Yeah, 6 out of 10. Maybe like a 5.9-ish out of 10. <laughs> but I still think it, give it a it's doable. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Okay, well, let's hear the stories then. <laughs> You're getting out of here. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Well, I will take this drink. I guess I will leave. Because that's the look you guys are both giving me. <laughs> I'm okay and, with you staying. I mean, it seems crowded here with the dogs, so I guess I will leave. <laughs> Thank you guys again. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck. Thanks. Bye. Okay, so he's gone. Let's do this. All right. I want to introduce you to Hella Lork Nielsen, who was born on July 4th, 1947, 
in Charlottenland, Denmark. I was going to say she was born on the 4th of July, but if she was born in Denmark, that didn't really matter. Yeah, she is Danish. But that didn't really matter that she was born on the 4th of July. In 1969, she was training as a flight attendant for Pan Am. Probably don't remember that. I know what that is. I watched Catch Me If You Can. (laughs) In Miami. While there, she met Richard Crafts, who was training as a pilot for Eastern Airline. They married in 1975 still working in their respective jobs with the airlines, and moved to Newtown, Connecticut. And although the couple had three children, it was not a happy marriage. Richard was abusive and controlling at home. Mm -hmm. And when he was away, Helen never knew if he was flying for Eastern at his part-time job as a police officer in a neighboring town, or whether he was once again indulging in yet another illicit affair, which he had been known to do throughout their entire marriage. Shucks. In 1986, Hella had had it with the marriage, but she had to have some evidence of Richard's philandering. So, Hella hired Keith Mayo, a private investigator. And sure enough, Richard was seeing an Eastern Airlines flight attendant, and Mayo snapped pictures of Richard kissing her outside of her New Jersey home. Oh? After seeing the pictures, which of course verified Hella's suspicions, she hired divorce attorney Diane Anderson in September of 86. So things are starting to happen pretty yeah. fast now. One of the things Anderson vividly recalled Hella saying was, if anything ever happens to me, don't think it was an accident. I hate hearing that in these stories. Because it's, it's like a premonition. I hate that. That anybody would be that scared in their own lives that they would... Almost be prepared or th- even think that that's a possibility in their lives. Is It's sorry. That's just really sad. I know. Well, disturbing and cryptic, this message was until Hella did disappear. Mm. And the events of that is a whole other level of disturbing. On November 18th, 1986. So this was, remember, she hired the divorce attorney in September. Okay. This is now November. Hella returned from a flight assignment to Germany. She was dropped off at her house by a friend at around 7 p.m. A few days later, when Hella missed her flight assignment, her friends became worried. This was not like her. They called her home, and Richard told them that Hella had gone to Denmark to take care of her sick mother. But then when another concerned friend called, Richard told them that Hella had gone on a vacation to the Canary Islands with friends. Wow. Totally different stories. Uh, Yeah, one's sad and one sounds fabulous. And neither of these stories made any sense. So friends called the private investigator, Keith Mayo, who said that they needed to file a missing person report. Oh, shoot. Her husband had not done so. Now, remember, Richard worked as a part-time police police officer. officer. So that makes him dangerous So the police all knew him. When they questioned him about Hella's whereabouts, he gave them the story of her sick mother. So... The case of missing Hella was kind of shoved to the corner by the local police. They didn't try to call the mom or anything like that? No, we know where she is. We believe Uh, Richard. Because he's a police officer. And a pilot, Mm -hmm. you know. Mayo continued pushing that someone look into the case, as he was convinced that Richard had done something to Hella. The county prosecutor finally referred the case to the Connecticut State Police. On December 4th, Richard was brought in for questioning. He stated that he had last seen his wife on November 19th and that she had left for the Canary Islands. Oh, here's that story again. Richard did consent to a lie detector and with no reaction at all, he answered the questions. He passed? He passed. Oh, that's crazy to me. Police questioned family and friends. Hella had told a few people that she was filing for divorce and the reason why. The police also questioned Dawn Marie Thomas, the 19-year-old live-in nanny. She said that November 18th was her night off and she didn't get home until 2 a.m. Everything in the house seemed normal and she went to bed, but was awakened very early on the 19th. Richard woke her and the children, telling them that the winter storm the night before had knocked out all the power. So he was taking them to his sister's house in Westport, about 22 miles away. He rushed them out of the house so fast that he didn't even bother to put coats and boots on the children. Oh. And this is November. It's cold. Cold. When asked about where their mother was, Richard told the kids that she had already left. After dropping the nanny and the children off, Richard returned home alone. 
and he rushed them also into the house, turned around and ran back. So he couldn't answer any questions as to where's mom? She's supposed to be here. Hmm. The nanny also told the police that after they returned home, she noticed a dark round stain in the carpet of Richard and Hella's bedroom. When she asked Richard about it, he said that he had spilled kerosene. A day later, Don noticed that the section of the carpet which held the stain had been cut out. Kerosene? Yeah, maybe to keep a warm, like, to keep warm, like a heater that used kerosene? I don't know. The police obtained a search warrant. All right. They discovered credit card records which showed unusual purchases around the time Hella vanished, including a deep freeze freezer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that wasn't right. A including deep freeze a freezer? Deep, <laughs> including a deep freezer that was not found in the house. I like deep freeze freezer. I do too. And a receipt for the rental of a wood chipper. Oh no. Police. But the freezer, the freeze freezer wasn't in the house. Police were accompanied to the house for the search by forensic expert Dr. Henry Lee. And I believe this is the forensic expert that later on also testified at the, um, gosh, these aren't my gloves trial. (laughs) OJ? OJ Simpson trial. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so he brains in the freeze freezer tonight. (laughs) Yeah. He made, I mean, this guy is pretty big time. Well, his name sounds really familiar. I have to add here that I did watch Forensic Files Collection 4, Episode 33, The Disappearance of Hella Crafts, and much of the following is taken from that show. Dr. Lee discovered five tiny stains on the mattress that looked to be blood. Okay, I'm talking pinpoint. I don't know how he even saw those, unless he was going over every inch of the place with a little magnifying glass. I have no idea how they were teeny tiny. After testing, they were found to indeed be human blood, type O positive to be exact, the same blood type as Hellas. After analyzing the blood pattern of the tiny stains, Dr. Lee believed that they were consistent with medium velocity blood splatter caused by a blunt object. Hmm. Around the same area as the tiny stains, but on the side of the mattress, there was a six inch blood smear. Investigators also found very clean bathroom towels. Very clean. Yes. I mean, like spotless. And they were mostly white. But after spraying them with a solution, they could see that the towels had been soaked with blood. Oh, worse. (laughs) Not bleach. (laughs) Blood. And they showed a picture of that. I guess it's luminol that they use. Yeah. After they sprayed them, these towels were glowing blue i mean they were saturated we're not talking little spots here and there we're talking saturated shoot all of this was evidence but all circumstantial there was no body no witness no weapon a missing freeze freezer and a wood chipper until a snow plow driver joe hine reported to the police that he had seen a wood chipper on a bridge around 3 20 a.m is that like normal I don't think so. Is that like normal to even own a wood chipper? I I don't know. Maybe. Hey, Connecticut. Connecticut. Oh my gosh. Why can't I say your state? Connecticut listeners. Do y'all have wood chippers? (laughs) Is this like a normal thing? Well, he saw a wood chipper on a bridge and then a man came around the wood chipper. This is like 3.20 a.m. Okay. And he's plowing the roads because of the big storm. Sure. And a man walks around and just kind of waves him on. Nothing here, dude. Just just keep moving. Just sitting on a bridge with my wood chipper at 3 a.m. <laughs> okay. About an hour later, the driver thought he saw the same wood chipper. Now, I don't know how he knew it was the same wood chipper, but <laughs> Richard was hauling the wood chipper around with a U-Haul van. Okay. Because the wood chipper was a big one. It was industrial strength. This is just getting crazier to me. Okay. So maybe he recognized the wood chipper because the U-Haul van was there also. Or maybe he recognized because it's not very common Perhaps. for people to be driving around wood chippers at 3 a.m. And then he thought, I believe I've seen that wood chipper because I haven't <laughs> seen too many wood chippers in my life. Unless <laughs> and this all is of this. you Connecticut people drive around with wood chippers. I don't know. <laughs> okay. And this time, the wood chipper was on River Road, which runs along the Housatonic, I hope, Housatonic? Housatonic. Mm-hmm. Housatonic River. Mm-hmm. Sounds good to me. I don't know what that is. Housatonic. 
I think it's Housatonic. The police started searching the area the wood chipper had been seen, and this is all along the bank of the river. At first, all they found was wood chips, nothing else. At least they knew they were in the right location because they found the wood chips, right? Sure. Okay. Still odd, even if it is just wood chips. Then an envelope was discovered, addressed to Hella Crafts. Encouraged by this discovery, the search intensified. Additional discoveries were a lot of blonde hair, Mm. blue fibers, a gray piece of metal, small fragments that looked to be bone. So I'm so sorry, but the letter was this like in with wood chips or they find it at the home or no, this was on the bank of the river. Well, how did it get through the all this was on the bank of the river? But The letter was intact. Pretty much so. But they just saw that her name was on it. It was still in the envelope. Well, I mean, they well, showed it. it. They showed it on forensic files. It was like a bill or something, oh, but okay. it had. It was still in the envelope, and it had. You clearly see her name and address and everything on it. Oh. Oh. A few days later, after the sun had melted some of the snow, a fingernail with chipped red polish was found. Oh my gosh! I'm getting the heebie-jeebies. Divers scoured the bottom of the river in the search area and came up with pieces of chainsaw. What? The serial number had been scratched off. My stomach is getting really nauseous with this one. All the evidence was taken to the forensic lab. Looking closely at the chainsaw's blades, scientists found hair, tissue, and more of the blue fibers. We're talking about tiny pieces of evidence. Okay, little. Under a microscope, the fibers are seen to be bluish-green cotton, which just happens to be the same color of Hella's favorite pajama top. These fibers also match the ones found at the bank of the river. Now, moving on to the scratch serial number. Using a special solution, scientists were able to uncover the number 5921616, the same number on a chainsaw warranty card sent in by Richard Crafts. Hmm. Now, the hair and 2,660 strands to be exact. Oh my gosh. Can you I can't imagine? believe they found all of that. And can you imagine counting? No. One strand after the other. It's like vampires counting salt. <laughs> Comparisons were made to Hella's hair taken from her hairbrush. Oh. The hairs were all similar, sharing a unique characteristic. And you probably would understand this more than me being a beautician, but it, it, some kind of, I don't know, it was a weird calcification almost in all the. In all the strands, I don't know, it had just a really weird um, characteristic to the hair. Okay. So it stood apart. Okay. And that matched. Hmm. The fingernail with the red nail polish, well, the polish is an important factor as it matched the same compounds as the nail polish found on Hella's nightstand table. The little gray metal piece turned out to be a tooth cap. Oh my gosh. But as of yet, no tooth. All this is very interesting and definitely ties Hella to this spot, but there's no proof that she's dead. The scientists then came up with a test. Using the exact wood chipper that Richard had rented, they slid a small pig into the chipper. Oh. Pig's dead. So? But, well, pigs, I guess, have the same kind of tissue and bone structure as people do. This is disgusting. And so they slid this little thing in there. Oh, they found say it like that. They found that the chipper had a unique cutting pattern, the same as evidence found by the river. Okay, here's my question. How did a letter get through, but everything else is in teeny tiny little pieces? I'll try to explain that later. You better. (laughs) Because it's been on my mind. The small fragments turned out to be bone, and looking at them with a microscope, the scientists could see that some of the fragments had tiny grooves. These are formed by blood vessels running along the inside of the skull, which interestingly enough, only humans have. So it was a human. It was her human. It was her skull. No proof, right? They also concluded that the other fragments were from the side of the skull, and I honestly am not sure how they determined this, but they discovered that the fragments from the side of the head were very slightly concaved, further evidence that the victim had been hit hard on the side of the head. Oh, jeez. The fragments were also determined to come from a person with type O positive blood. 
So this saying. has got to all be enough evidence, though, right? There's still no body. But if that's her head, she's not out there walking around. Oh, it's just little pieces, though. But, you know, it. Police have to prove so much, or you know, even prosecutors know, have to prove so much. <sighs> Investigators do not give up searching the area, and eight days later, a tooth is found. It is compared to Hella's dental records, and voila, it's a match. Voila! Now we've got total proof with a tooth. Add all this evidence together, and the conclusion is that this person is dead because of a tooth. Everything together. The tooth, the concave skull, the, you know, everything together. That's what I'm saying. And on January 13th, 1987, Richard Crafts was arrested. Good. So this is a summary of what police put together of the close to perfect crime. On the night of November 18th, 1986, Helen was dropped off at home by her friend at 7 p.m. She put the three children to bed around 8 p.m. The nanny was out for the night. Hella got ready for bed, putting on her favorite pajama top. She looked through the mail that had come during her flight assignment to Germany, and for some reason, she put the mail into her pajama shirt pocket. Oh, my gosh. Then began changing the sheets on the bed. I don't know why, but there's kind of evidence to that. As she was doing this, Richard came up from behind her and struck her on the head with his police flashlight. Oh, geez. The first blow to her head knocked her to her knees. The second caused the droplets on the bed, and as Hella fell to the floor, her head brushed up against the side of the bed, causing the blood smear. Richard then wrapped the body in the bed comforter, carried it to the freezer in the garage, and placed it in the freezer until he could get rid of it. In the freeze freezer? In the deep freeze freezer. Okay. And just clarifying, there wasn't another freezer. He then proceeded to clean the blood in the bedroom with the bath towels, soaking them with blood in the process. Early the next morning, he woke the nanny and the children and drove them to his sister's house. He then rented a large wood chipper and a U-Haul truck using his credit card. (laughs) It just has to be a sick human being to even sit there and consider a wood chipper. I think he was just so egotistical. It was just... So in the very early hours of the next morning, he transported the frozen body, a chainsaw, and some wood to the river. Using the chainsaw, he dismembered the body and put the pieces in the wood chipper along with some wood. So where did he dismember her? Out there on the bridge? Just out there and... Not on the bridge. Remember, he had moved the wood chipper to the banks of the river. So he's like hidden. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. God. Ugh. Most of the debris was scattered by the wood chipper into the river and was carried away by the current. There was little to no blood at the scene because the body had been frozen. Crafts then took apart the chainsaw and before he threw it in the river, he scratched the serial number off. It actually took two trials to convict Crafts, believe it or not. This is right up there with Catman with me. In 1987, the first trial ended in a mistrial due to one juror who was not convinced that Hella was dead. According to a People magazine coverage (laughs) on the case, the juror stated that, quote, a woman who was sick of trying to change a guy could just take off and say the hell with it and and leave her three children. Yeah, Yeah. whatever. A second jury of 11 men and one woman found Crafts guilty of murder on November 21st, 1989. He was the first murder conviction in Connecticut without a body. Hmm. Crafts was sentenced to 50 years in prison. The three Crafts children... 50 years for putting your wife in a wood chipper? Oh, honey, you wait. The three Crafts children, who were 8, 10, and 12 at the time of the murder... Oh, my gosh. ...were placed in the custody of Karen Rogers, Richard's sister in Westport. Because Crafts was sentenced under an old Connecticut law, his sentence was reduced for statutory good time. What is that? He was good in prison. He was a good model prisoner. So it was cut down. On February 1st, 2020, 82-year-old Crafts was released to a transitional housing program. What? What? He's out? He's out? A halfway home for veterans in Bridgeport. And in June 2020, he was released from the Department of Corrections. Done. No parole. Nothing. He put his wife in a wood chipper. He's done. He's out. He's walking. Now, granted, he's 82 years old, but still. 
And I can't, I looked everywhere. I can't find any updates as to where he is now. He's probably changed his name. and So he got out. That just sickens me. Are you serious? You're lying, right, Mom? No, he was put in jail in 1989. He got out 2020. So So he was in there for 31 years. Well, I did the math really fast. I'm not good at math. The reason I did the math was because I was born in 89. I know how old I am. I'm not good at math. But that's it. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So every Christmas season, along with It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas Story, The Grinch, etc. You watch Fargo. My husband, Tom, and I watch the movie Fargo. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Weird. I know. It's not exactly the warm, fuzzy, feel-good movie. In the beginning of the movie, it does say that it's a true story, which it is not. It's just some more of the Cohen brothers' dark humor. But I do wonder if the movie, especially the part where the woodchepper is used to dispose of a body, was maybe inspired by the craft's true crime story. Because there's not many true crime stories with woodchippers. The movie sure did come to mind as I did research for this episode. I mean, throughout the whole thing. Ugh. I... I like I said, that's right up there with Catman with me. That is so disturbing. And that is so infuriating that he only served 30, 31 years. Arrogant S.O.B. Just how does that happen? He took his kids to Disneyland before during Christmas break before he was arrested. He took his kids to Disney World. Those poor kids. When they grow up and they see, ugh, thanks, Mom. You're welcome. Yeah. Pretty crazy, horrific story. No, my stomach is all upset. I saw we. But you have a good, what did Tom call it? Tom called it ghost action. (laughs) TM, TM. (laughs) Okay. I just have to start out with the fact that, holy cow, Connecticut, you have so many haunted places. Really? Yes. Awesome. I mean, historic homes and even many possessed homes. Oh. There was a home where crucifixes were exploding. What? Furniture was flying, and the family cat was singing jingle bells. (laughs) Y'all, I cannot make this up. Okay, I believed it all the way to the cat. (laughs) Now, some argued that this haunting at 966 Lindley Street in Bridgeport, Connecticut, was not a haunting at all but actions of the family's adopted 10-year-old daughter. Hmm? But some things just could not be explained. Maybe the singing cat. (laughs) Well, how is she going to explode crucifixes? She's 10 years old. I don't know. (laughs) It was so hard to narrow down a location, but I really wanted to cover something different than what we've covered before. And by golly, I found the holy grail of haunted places. All right. Because this one little location houses hundreds of haunted items. And yes, I'm speaking about Ed and Lorraine Warren's Occult Museum in Monroe, Connecticut. Yay! Good. Okay, so this museum is located in their home. Ed and Lorraine Warren have since passed, which makes me wonder if they haunt their home. Oh. You mean the museum is where they live? Yes. Ooh. So their daughter, Judy, and their son-in-law, Tony Spera. So Tony Spera has kind of taken over their whole ghost action, (laughs) to use Tom's (laughs) words. He runs like their website and he does, they, the company or the business or whatever you call call the group still goes and helps get rid of spirits they work with the catholic church in the area and they still go and bless and take care of spirits interesting so he still carries on their work but they've since died and they left the home to their daughter judy and their son-in-law tony spara and they don't live there in the warren's home i guess they actually live like 40 minutes away oh but the warren's cats still live there oh rosebud and Shoot, I forget the other cat's Aren't name. Are they kind of getting on in age? No, one of them was like a kitten that Lorraine had just gotten soon before she passed. Mm. So, I mean, it's not like a kitten, but it's probably just a couple a few years old. But Tony goes because he checks on the cats like every day and feeds them. And okay, anyway, so they're like seen in a couple of his YouTube videos that he still does for the Warrens group. 
and he'll be sitting there and he'll answer questions and he'll do lives and stuff from there and then the cats will come and I don't know what it is with me and cats and all these recent stories. Sing I am not balls. a cat person at all. Sorry. Do these cats sing? No, <laughs> but I'm serious. I watched a video of Ed Warren talking about this and they witnessed the cat singing jingle bells. <laughs> and like, I guess this is from Ed Warren. They use that kind of thing to suck you in for like to get your attention. And I big running out. <laughs> I don't think that'd be sucking me in. That would be throwing me out. I would be done. Anyway, okay, back to the story. So walking, so yes, it's in their house. Walking from the Warren's kitchen, you walk through a door down these stairs into what they called the Halloween room. From there, you walk through a dungeon-like passage leading into the Warren's occult museum. The museum is not an open exhibit anymore. Apparently, because of zoning laws, the museum is in a residential zone oh. and cannot be used for commercial purposes. Right. So it's been closed down. Oh. And maybe that's for the best because some of the items in this room, well, let's just chat about them. The museum is made up of items from all over the world. These items have been taken from haunted locations by the Warrens or the Warrens were called to have the item taken. It is 45 years worth of collections. There are occult ritual objects, witchcraft ritual objects, voodoo ritual objects, satanic ritual objects, item used in diabolical experiences, sorcery, wizardry, and much, much more. Jeez. Ed gave a tour of the museum years ago, and the video can be found on YouTube on the Ed and Lorraine Warren's channel. On the tour, Ed says that the museum is the most dangerous in the hours of 9 p.m. to 6 a.m., the psychic hours. He claims that most everything in the museum has either been responsible for someone's death or sent someone to a mental institution. Yikes. Okay. What are some of the objects in the museum? Pray tell. There is a magic mirror from a man in New Jersey. He apparently would use the mirror to conjure up spirits. The man went crazy and eventually was sent to a mental institution. The family who inherited the mirror experienced many odd occurrences and would see things and people in the mirror. Ooh, creepy. So they sent it to the Warrens. Okay, that's really creepy. There is an organ. Not like an organ, like from a body, but like an organ, like a piano <laughs> it's not organ. It's a heart. <laughs> from long. what Ed described as the most haunted house in New England, in Stratford, Connecticut, from 1850. Wrappings from spirits would occur in the home a lot. Not like modern day wrapping, but like, you know, knocking wrapping. <laughs> I got the ghost. Yeah, got the ghost. Okay. <laughs> Later on, a man that collected organs bought the organ and it started playing by itself. So he called Edna Lorraine to take it off his hands. They believe it is possessed or haunted in some way. And they too have heard the organ playing on its own on a couple occasions. Ooh. The museum has fertility dolls that have been stolen from an African witch doctor. And apparently it's like totally bad news bears to steal anything from a witch doctor interesting and the dolls became demonic because they were stolen so they too were sent to ed and lorraine they have voodoo dolls from africa europe and from here in the united states made with real human hair and clothing and even fingernail clippings there is this tiger head kind of like a tiger rug made from a tiger that apparently back in 1933, this magician that practiced black magic would project his spirit into this huge tiger, leaving his physical body and taking over this tiger's body. And when he took over the tiger's body, he killed tons of people. And the tiger was eventually killed by the villagers. And that tiger is there in the museum. Oh, gosh, this was super interesting. There was this shelf with doilies and pictures and stuff that was kind of ashed, like it had burn marks on them. Mm -hmm. Apparently, there was a haunting known as the Donovan case, and there was some kind of demonic being in this home, and these items would just burst into flames sporadically, and fireballs would burst from them. Mm. Yeah. There was a shelf filled with items from haunted places in Europe. 
The Warrens loved Scotland in particular. So they had items from like haunted castles and such. Right. There's this really beautiful antique painting of a beautiful woman in a wedding gown. And the story goes with this item that a couple purchased this picture from an antique store. And after having it for a couple days, they both started calling the woman in the photo Aunt Matilda. Just, you know, for fun. They didn't know why, but the name just came to them and they started calling her that. Mm -hmm. Well, basically, as soon as they gave the woman a name, she was seen on random occurrences throughout the house. Oh, so they called Ed and was like, get this out of here. <laughs> Matilda has to leave. Aunt Matilda needs to go. <laughs> there is a cabinet of sorts holding human skulls that had been used in satanic practices. Hmm. There's this huge six foot six inch satanic idol that stands in the middle of the museum. It's crazy looking. It's almost kind of looks like an alien, but it's this just odd looking metallic statue. I guess I can kind of describe it. It looks like tin foil has made it up. If that makes sense, so it's not like it's not smooth. Right? No, okay. And it just—it's just odd looking. Okay. Now this idol was found by a hunter in the woods back in the '90s, actually in the woods behind Sandy Hook. Oh. But the area where the man found this idol, when police were called to inspect the area, they found blood. And it was proven to be an area used in satanic rituals out there in the woods by a local satanic group. The young man who found this idol actually had three near-death experiences after finding the idol. And when Lorraine and Ed brought the idol back to their museum, they were trying to bless it. And Lorraine was thrown across the room. And Ed claimed in his YouTube video that she was in a catatonic state afterwards for three days. Interesting. And this, this idol is really, I mean, it's tall. It's six feet. Mm-hmm. It's huge. And there is this pretty prominent known satanic group that used this idol and would practice there in those woods. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a fact. That is a fact. Hmm. And that was used in those rituals. I don't know what it would mean or he didn't go into, I tried to find some more on it and maybe, anyway, it was really creepy. Okay. It was really Take your word for it. Ed claimed that the satanic groups in the area had threatened he and Lorraine a few times. One time they even found a tombstone with the name Warren on it thrown in their front yard. This is in the museum now. (laughs) So what, did they want it back? No, like the satanic cult group or the satanic group in like a threatening way, they found a tombstone that said Warren. No, I know, but did they want the statue back? Is that what they were wanting or? I don't know. I'm... You know, I, you know how Ed put it is very good versus evil. Sure. Yeah. But they're, they were made, they made many threats against the Warrens. Another thing they found in their front yard one day was a spirit from one of the items that they had acquired at the time. A spirit? Parts from Flight 401 that crashed in the Everglades in the 80s. Parts of the plane that crashed were apparently used for other planes at the time. Ooh. And the spirit, the spirit of the navigator of Flight 401, Don, was reported being heard and seen on these flights, talking to stewardesses and just, like, seen. He was seen in the Warren's driveway on a rainy day in his flight uniform and hat with a rain jacket, days after they acquired pieces of the crash. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God, Mom. There was this dinosaur model in the museum Mm -hmm. okay so this is from the devil in connecticut case back in 82 when this little boy was supposedly possessed and he put the model dinosaur together after he built it he set it on the floor and the dinosaur started walking toward the family sitting at the kitchen table and then a voice came from the dinosaur that said beware you're all going to die who And that story really scared me because my kids build dinosaurs. You have so many dinosaurs in this house. (laughs) And if one of them started walking towards me and said, you're going to die, it's almost as bad as Jingle Bell singing cats. (laughs) There is a coffin where a vampire used to sleep in. Apparently, this man believed he was a vampire and he really drank human blood and stuff. Mm -hmm. He was eventually put into an insane asylum. And at the time of the recording of this video, Ed claimed that the man was still at the insane asylum, still claiming he was a vampire. Well, he probably was. Yeah. I, from what we've learned, he probably really was. 
They had an original book of shadows and a shadow doll made up of animal and human parts. Apparently how that worked was a magician practicing black magic would send a photo of this shadow doll to those he meant to curse. Once they saw a photo of her, she would haunt and curse them in their dreams. Mm. You freaked out yet? Yeah, I might see some of this in my dreams. Now, back in the day, tours would be held in the museum, led by Ed and Lorraine Warren. The biggest rule in the museum is that you cannot touch anything. If you did, even if you accidentally bumped into an item, which is easy to do because the place is very small, very cramped and filled with so many things, they say prayers over you and you are to envision yourself being surrounded in Christ's light. I would I wouldn't even go in it, but oh my god to touch something. Mm-mm. I mean, some of this stuff sounds so off the wall crazy to me. But people believed enough that they called the Warrens to get it out of their homes. True. Yeah. So just putting that negative energy into it if that dinosaur really walked and threatened this entire family or not, just the fact that this family is like get this get dinosaur out. out of my house is scary enough. No, it is. Yeah, totally. Is. I mean, we, you and I have discussed how we kind of questioned some of the Warrens' stories. and mm-hmm. But it's not like they went to a store and found a dinosaur and like, oh, let's put a fun story on this guy. Like, you know what I mean? No, I believe that all those things did come from people. I don't think that the Warrens made that up. No. And I believe that they really believed what they were doing. I think that's what I was just going to say. I think they really believed. So it's... But I don't believe in all of the stuff that they did, but... But I think they really believed it. Yes. Yes. So many times they've had the museum blessed and they've even had a yogi come out, Mm -hmm. which I didn't know what that was. But it's a high spirited, spirited, (laughs) a high spiritual person who has a knowledge of magic and positivity. He has been called in creating like an electric fence around the objects to confine the evil to them and in the room. So it's all confined. Gotcha. Now, the most known item in the museum, the most haunted, the most possessed item in this museum is a Raggedy Ann doll in this enclosed, holy oil-infused case. Oh, my goodness. Annabelle. She looks so sweet and innocent. She's just a little Raggedy Ann doll. Nothing like the terrifying doll in the movies. Like, honestly, the the doll that they put in the movies is like this looks like it's gonna kill you like it looks like a chucky doll like it looks oh, scary i haven't the seen real them, but... annabelle is like just this innocent looking raggedy Ann doll but she's not so innocent which by the way talking about the movie the doll that was used in the movie is now in the occult museum oh of course so what's the movie called i don't even know about this i mean i wouldn't see it anyway annabelle annabelle okay <laughs> Your Annabelle's not even moving. <laughs> I know. I know. I, <laughs> Annabelle is my dog. <laughs> she's she's out. She is out. <laughs> and we keep saying her name. And she's not even perking up. Now, recently, it came out, I think like in September of 2020, 2020? that Annabelle had escaped. What? She didn't. <laughs> and Tony Sparrow, the owner of Annabelle, has no idea how the story got started. She is safely locked away in her case in the Warrens' home. I'm sure you've seen or heard of all the Annabelle movies out there, but do you know the real story of Annabelle? Anything about Annabelle? Well, let me share that with you in our Patreon group. Oh, let me tell you the real story is much, much scarier than what you've seen in the movies and very different. Interesting. Oh, I can't wait. Guys, there's a link to our Patreon in the description of this episode. Follow it. Join us. Lots of extra episodes there. Episodes released early. But yes, join us on Patreon and nice. hear all about the creepy Annabelle. I will say the scariest thing in this museum to me, besides Annabelle, are these little itty 100-year-old dolls called the New England Witch Dolls. So there are these little dolls that were made by witches back in the day. And that's like repeating exactly what I just said. (laughs) Itty bitty 100 year old dolls called the New England witch dolls. There are these little dolls that are made by witches back in the day. (laughs) Anyway, the dolls represented the victim 
and they're like miniature versions. Like how high? Of the victims. Like little, like a couple inches. Two inches? Uh Uh-huh. They're kind of like voodoo dolls because they're made with the victim's hair, clothing, items of their clothing, or even like a piece of an item that they used regularly, like a little scrap of wood from a chair that they sat in regularly or a bed that they would sleep in or something. Okay. And the witch would take this little miniature doll (laughs) and hang it outside the person's window, (gasps) unnoticed, with a piece of pork wrapped around its neck in this like little noose and as the pork started to rot Mm -hmm. and started to stink the victim would get sick and eventually die oh my gosh it was like a witch's curse and they have a bunch of these itty bitty little creepy new england witch dolls okay and they know for a fact that this was practiced yes ew ew is right and they really creeped me out yeah so like how many did they have they had like a whole shelf filled with these and they have them in like cabinets and enclosed some of them were enclosed well they have a lot i mean mom this room is packed i can't tell you how big the space is it really isn't much bigger than like a garage but it was just packed with stuff and all this the coffin everything is in this tiny space a tiger this giant satanic oh yeah that thing thing annabelle is right there staring at you in this big wooden case i mean there was so much more in this they have um like dolls that they've recreated of witches that used to haunt the area they have these dolls that like look like these witches so that they can share the stories of these witches and they just and they have so much stuff in this room mom's the skeptic here and i'm the one who's more like hey let's go let's pull out the ouija board but i don't actually know if i would go here i'm the skeptic and i would not go there (laughs) and Uh -uh. yeah it's just a lot it's just a lot and even if i don't believe in all the stories it's just it's just a lot okay here's my question i wonder if the cats ever go in there no like on their own volition, do they ever wander? Well, in they there? can't because everything can't is go totally closed. Okay, but yeah, I know it's true. I should ask Tony Sparrow, because <laughs> um, we're just really good friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were really quiet during that one, Mom. Were you just kind of spooked? No, I was really interested. I'm just like really fascinated. And with... I I watched two tours of the of the uh, museum. Mm-hmm. It's all on YouTube. It's Ed and Lorraine Warren have a channel. And now again, it is run by Tony Sparrow now. So there are new up-to-date videos of all that they're doing. There was long videos of tours of this place and stories. And these were just the ones that really freaked me out. I am so psyched about hearing about Annabelle. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Jeez. Okay, can I ask a question? What is the difference between this garage museum and what zach has from what i understand not much um you want my personal answer to that well i i think zach's is more built on uh, i don't know a cult following almost so that's kind of what my opinion stands i think zach's is more based on how much stuff he can get his hands on i think not that there's anything wrong with that. That's his collection and he's excited money, to share sure. it. But, you know, he has like Ed Gaines cauldron, mm-hmm. you know, and which, by the way, only cooked like two people in it. Like, it's not like he cooked thousands of people in it. He actually made soup in it most of the time. <laughs> but we'll get into that later. Um, but, you know, he has those serial killer things there and mm-hmm. bringing in spirits. And where I find the difference between the two is I feel like... You know, they've had a yogi come in. They've had priests come in and bless these things to kind of try to get the spirits out of them or whatever. And they're keeping these items in a safe location so that the demons don't pass on to other people or the stories end, you know, right there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like the spirit doesn't go on and haunt somebody else. You know, right. they say, don't, if you come in here, don't touch anything. Where Zach is like, you see this mirror hanging on the wall. Supposedly spirits can come through it. Why don't you stand in front of it and stare at it? You know, like come and get haunted. Whereas they're like, be safe when you come in here. It's almost like 
theirs is educational. Yeah. Where Zach's is more entertainment. 100%. Well, well Zach's, I've never been, but I would, I'm curious. But from what I hear, it is some of the portion of his museum is a haunted house where like clowns jump out at you and stuff. Ew. So like you go through, a, if you want to call it historical, but you know, where the cauldron is or where the, um, I'm drawing a name right now, but the van with the, with the assisted suicides mm-hmm. um, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then you walking into another room, it's like this circus where these clowns jump out at you and it's like a haunted house where things are creepy. So, yeah, it's more entertainment. Okay. I I just happened, not recently, but I just happened on the site and I was looking at comments you know how we like to read I those love comments. To read the comments. And first of all, you stand in line for a long time. Oh yeah, a long time because everybody only, wants to go. They only take a few people in at a time. Mm-hmm. But after staying there, standing in there for a long time, what I read over and over again is you're really rushed through. Really, you're not left alone. You're not left to read anything. Huh. You have a tour guide who just is rushing you through the rooms. Yeah, you have a tour guide. I do know that. You can't touch anything. You can't really read anything because you're going so quickly. Well, so that's too bad. That's that's the number one. I mean, I don't know personally at all, but that's the number one complaint that I saw on the site. Well, that's the thing. It's like I wouldn't want to go to the Warren's Occult Museum, but I'm curious about Zach's. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and that's not saying that one's scarier than the other. I just... Or I believe one person over the other. No. I think Zach has done a lot for the paranormal community. Community. Oh, definitely. I think he's kind of, you know, dramatic and we laugh and everything. But he has really made so many steps for the paranormal community. He has. I, I truly believe that. I think he's what made those paranormal shows famous, as crazy as that sounds. No. Right. Um, he's done a lot of research in paranormal stuff. So I don't know. And maybe because I am so fascinated with serial killers and he has a lot of that stuff there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's what intrigues me. But I don't think I would go to the Warrens. I know I wouldn't go to the Warrens. Well, and just like Ed said, everything in this room has either killed somebody or has put in, put somebody in an insane asylum or driven them crazy. Yeah. Well, that right there is like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I don't know. Okay, that's leaving us on a creepy note. <laughs> Man, we were supposed to, I was supposed to lighten things up. Well, how's that drink, Mom? It's almost gone. It was a little easier to drink after a while. Yeah, after a while, but I was afraid to drink it because of the rattling of, of the ice. Of the ice. <laughs> so yeah, just a reminder, if you guys want to hear about Annabelle, join our Patreon. The link is in the description of this episode. You can also find a link to our website where you will find the resources for this episode and photos from this episode and past episodes. Follow us on our social media, Facebook, Instagram. Are there any pictures of Annabelle online? Many. There are? Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll just have to post one of those. Well, yeah. The real one, not the movie one. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. So. Oh, I have so many great fun things to share with you patrons. I'm so excited. She's a creepy one. We'll just post a picture of my Annabelle. <laughs> She's a creepy one, too. <laughs> no, she's not. Did she perk up for that? No. <laughs> All right, Mom. You ready to toast my water? Toast to your water, my darling. It's another fun one, Mom. Yes, it was. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid. Love you, kid.